Hey everyone, this is Becoming a Bible Nerd. I'm Carrie Hunt, and I'm so glad that you are joining us. I believe this ancient Eastern text was never meant to study alone, so we choose to do it in community. We will take one book a semester, one chapter a week, and really dig in to understand the context and culture that the book was written in so that we can better understand how to apply what God was saying to our lives. Our goal is to equip you and your community to fall more in love with Jesus because you have fallen in love with his word. Well, this season we are going through the book of Romans and today's episode is chapter four, Faith Alone. So we are continuing in this letter that Paul's written to the Roman church. And I want to remind you that at the very beginning, Paul was so excited and prayerful that he could come and meet the church. He thanked God for them. He wanted them to know that news of their growth had um, been spread throughout the world. So I want us to remember it because like Shira said in her latest blog post, we have felt our toes stepped on. We maybe have felt beat up a little in a good way because Paul wants growth. He wants truth and he wants growth and he wants us to fully understand what the work of the cross was all about. So this wasn't him scolding them. He loved the church of Rome. He couldn't wait to meet them. He couldn't wait to be with them and he thanked God for them, but at the same time, there was just some tweaking in their belief system. So chapter four is all about Paul teaching them that salvation is through faith alone, and he's going to use two of the most important figures in the Jewish history to do so. So stick with me on this. This first section, he is going to use Abraham. And in the second section, he's going to use King David. I'm going to read this first section with Abraham right now. He, Paul writes, what then can we say that Abraham, our physical ancestor, has found? If Abraham was justified by works, then he has something to brag about, but not before God. Meaning if he was saved through his works, then he's going to brag about how awesome he was. It had nothing to do with God. And For this is what scripture says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now the one who works, pay is not considered a gift, but something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who declares the ungodly to be righteous, his faith is credited for righteousness. We are going to tackle what this is saying. So first of all, he's talking about the patriarch of the faith, the father of the Hebrew people, Abraham. His story is recorded in the law, which is the first five books of the Bible. It's also known to the Jewish people as Torah. That's the first five books, and it's going to contain the story of Abraham and how God made him a great nation and through a covenant. So he says that if... um He said, if he was justified by his works, then Abraham could brag. Remember this word justified is a word that means, it's a legal term in a court of law, and it's when someone is found not guilty. And it was not through his works because then Abraham could boast this is a free gift that only comes through God. And then Paul is going to write a passage from the Old Testament in Genesis 15, 6. It says, he believed God. Now this believed, I've told you many times, there's an action behind it. To the Jewish people, it wasn't just that you, you know, the demons believed in God, but they didn't serve him. This believe 
Also notes like a serving, a, a, a transforming your life to line up to what God says. Like you believe what he's telling you in the law, so you apply it to your life and live by it. A quote that I found said the Jewish people had a long history of attributing Abraham's salvation to his obedience. But something happened along the way. And in Second Temple Judaism, this was Jesus's day. When we say Second Temple, remember that um, Solomon's temple was destroyed um, by the Babylonians. And so then after the exile under King Cyrus, and we kind of talked about this a little in Daniel, um, King Cyrus allowed some of these Jewish people to return and they rebuilt the temple. And then Herod perfected the temple. Um, so this is known as Second Temple Judaism. It's kind of the, the time frame between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's about 400 years. They're also known as the silent years. We know a little bit about that period of time from other historical records, but the Bible's quiet about that time. So when I say Second Temple Judaism, these people started believing that it was their work. Somehow this got lost, that it was through Abraham's obedience. Now, again, to revisit this Genesis 15 scripture, it says he believed God. And whenever he believed God, he believed that God was going to make him a great nation. He believed that God was going to give him a son in his old age. These are the things that he's believing in. And it was credited to him for righteousness. This word credited. Sometimes in some of your translations, it might say reckoned or counted. But this is a term that is kind of an accounting term. It, it, it's in the Greek, it's log, logazomia. I don't know how to say that, but it's L-O-G-I-Z-O-M-A-I. And it is the same word that we would use to make a deposit in a bank account. And so basically, if we all had these accounts and our sin withdrew, well, we're going to be in a deficit, aren't we? Because we keep messing up. But God puts down a deposit. He credits it. And what does he put down? It's not money. It is righteousness. We have fallen. We are separated from God. Our sins have condemned us to death. But God puts in our bank account when we believe in him, this deposit that is righteousness. Now what? Okay. So that this word credited is going to show up 11 times in um, this this chapter, I mean, this is something that is so important. Now, this word righteousness, we've talked about several times already. It's a free gift. It's not something that we can attain on our own. We only receive it through the work of Jesus on the cross. And what this is a picture of is him exchanging our sin. So he takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. So when Abraham, this is remember, there's not even the Hebrew people yet. Abraham was a man, a pagan, who lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. This is around the Mesopotamia area that later becomes Babylon. A very wealthy, very, um, just the, even where it's located with the rivers and things like that. The soil is rich. There's economy. There is, I mean, this is modern day society. And they worship many gods. And Abraham was all in this culture and all of a sudden, our God, the creator God, appears to him and speaks to him and says, hey, I want you to leave civilization, leave your money, and you are going to travel and become a nomad. And Abraham does it. And then he promises that he's going to make him a great nation. And Abraham's old and his wife is old. And he says, I'm going to bring you a son. And he does in their old age. So just the fact that he believed God and obeyed him, he moved west and he begins following the voice of God, that 
action, his belief and putting action to that belief, put a deposit of righteousness. He now is in right standing with God. So he's saying it's not any of these works, but these works are good. I mean, we, God wants works. It pleases him. We live a blessed life because of our works, but that doesn't ever earn our salvation. So then he goes on to say that when you work, that's something that you earned on your own. Salvation is not something that we can earn. It is the love of a father who made a way for us to be in right standing with him. And so he goes on and says, but this is available to anyone who believes on him, who declares the ungodly to be righteous. So when we believe on him, all of a sudden we're ungodly, but we are declared righteous. His faith, talking about our faith, is credited for righteousness. All of a sudden our little bank accounts with our withdrawals because of all of our sins and now we're in the negative, all of a sudden there's a huge deposit paid and we are in right standing with God. Again, this whole thing that Paul is communicating is that we are talking about a changed and transformed heart. That is what God is after. He is not after just robotic obedience. Robotic obedience doesn't last. That's why you see people that have this experience with God, but they don't really allow him to transform them. They're not feeding their spirit and they're they're going through a checklist and they're trying out of their own might to be obedient, but then all of a sudden, boom, they're tired and they start living their own life again. It's because that was robotic obedience. It wasn't allowing God to truly become Lord of their life filling their spirit, feeding their spirit on a daily basis and being transformed. That is what God is after. So then Paul writes about the the, the um, monarchy. He talks about King David. Now remember, Abraham lived before there was even a law. I mean, centuries before the law was given to Moses. And he was credited to righteousness before the, the law even existed. But now he talks about King David who lived under the law. And this is what he says. He says, God credits righteousness to David too. And then he quotes from the Psalms. Psalms 32 is a Psalm that David wrote. It was a song he sang after he had committed a horrific sin. He had committed, helped, or he had summoned Bathsheba to come to him. He slept with her. She was a married woman. And then she gets pregnant, so he, while her husband's out at war, he makes sure that husband is put on the front lines so that he would be killed. So so this sin that he, he committed ends up snowballing into a much greater sin, or I, we, we just talked about sins aren't greater, but it, it's just that it, it turned into another sin after another trying to cover up what he had done. And so the prophet um, Nathan comes to him and gives him this kind of a fictitious story. And, and David is like, well, that guy's a sinner. And he's like, well, that guy's you. And David had a humble heart and repented and grieved. He grieved and he ended up losing a son. The, 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 the baby that Bathsheba was bearing ended up dying. But David ended up repenting and realizing that God forgave him. And this is the song he sang. How joyful are those who lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. How joyful is the man the Lord will never charge with sin. So a couple of things are going on here. Remember, David is living under the law and he goes to God in repentance and he realizes that there's a free gift of salvation. He doesn't list, oh, and then I did this and this and this and I earned myself into right standing with God. He is realizing, and that's what's so joyful about this. And this is why he's saying how joyful are those, how blessed are those, that you can receive forgiveness. Now, I think this is interesting because under the law, he says, whose sins are covered. 
And that's what happened under the law. You would have to find a blameless, a, a perfect lamb and slaughter them for the forgiveness of sin for, I believe, one year. So your sins were covered. It wasn't long lasting until the work of the cross. But now we're even on the other side of that with a new covenant. Our sins are not covered. They are exchanged. You get God's righteousness and he takes on your sins. And it's eternal thing. You don't have to do it every year. And he says, how joyful is the man whose Lord will never charge him with sin. So we're seeing this banking term again. You know, when we sin, we are charged. They're taking a deposit. They're 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 taking money out of our account. But then, when we believe in God, and that obedience produces, or that yes, that that belief produces obedience, then there's a deposit made into our account. And so he's using the same language here. And what <coughs> he is communicating is that David did live under the law, but he never you he never viewed that. His obedience to the law was his key to justification. He he totally saw this as a free gift. And this passage is proclaiming that we are credited righteousness and are blessed when we repent, when we turn to him, when we believe in him. He's also showing that the believer's sins, um, that when we sin, I'm sorry, he's also showing that when we sin, like after salvation, that justification is not canceled. It's he will never be charged with sin because the work on the cross is taking our sin, our past and future sin once and for all. Something I wanted to read from Dr. Constable's notes on page 284, if you have the notes, and I just thought it was so beautifully written. Forgiveness is more than mere remitting of penalty. Even a hard-hearted judge might remit a man's fine if it were paid by someone else. But forgiveness involves the heart of the forgiver. So this is the heart of God. It's involving his heart. God's forgiveness is the going forth of God's infinite tenderness towards the object of his mercy. It is God folding the sinner as the returning prodigal was folded into his bosom. Such one is blessed indeed. And I just think that is a beautiful picture that when we sin, it's not just that he tosses uh, righteousness into our bank account. This is him saying, now we're in right standing and I can cuddle with you. I think it's so good and it's so awesome. So now um, Paul is going back to the patriarch Abraham. There's some more things that he needs the Jewish people to understand. He points out and he kind of makes them think he's questioning was Remember, Abraham was the father of the Hebrew people, but he's called out from Ur of the Chaldeans and he's in, in God makes a covenant with him before there is a great people. So was he Jew or Gentile when that happened? He wasn't a Jew yet. There wasn't even a Jewish nation. He was not circumcised. There was, and he, he was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. He had come from a land where there was pagan God worship and, and, but in God, saw him as righteous the moment he believed and obeyed. And so here he's pointing out that Abraham received the credit for righteousness before he was ever circumcised. This all took place 14 years before Abraham ever was circumcised. So he's communicating to the Jewish people, these Gentiles do not have to be circumcised. They can receive this righteousness just like Abraham had done. The sign of circumcision 
was the seal of righteousness that he had faith. So this was just an outward showing. And I thought this was interesting in my study group this week. They were talking about how when a man goes to the bathroom many times a day, this is going to be a reminder throughout the day when he goes to the bathroom, he is going to see that he is circumcised. And this is to be a reminder of what God did, the free gift that God gave him, that he has made right and right standing with God because of this free gift and a daily reminder. It is guaranteeing God's promises and the fact that circumcision cannot be reversed. God's promises cannot be reversed. It's just goodness in every single verse. So he became a father to the circumcised who followed the footsteps of our father Abraham. Again, Paul is saying the advantage to the Jews was spiritual. It was not physical. Abraham did become the father of the circumcised. He did, but this was the Jews having a spiritual advantage. That was an advantage for them to have the law and to know God in a more intimate way than anyone else in the world. The circumcision was an outward sign of what was already possessed in their heart. and But then nations of the world would be blessed was the promise that came from the covenant. So God's promise to Abraham was based on faith. It was not on the law or works. And this is how God's Promise can be extended to the Gentiles as well. The law didn't exist yet. Remember, when Abraham was credited righteousness, it did not exist for centuries. And the law can't bring us into the blessings associated with God's promise because we can't keep it. There's wrath that comes with the law. The, this whole relationship with Creator God is based on trusting love, not law-keeping. So this balance is so hard for humans because we trust But that means that therefore we obey. When we trust God, we obey him. But we're obeying him because of trust, not because of a checklist, okay? So our hearts are softened. Our hearts are towards God. And then obedience is just an overflow. But that creates longevity and steadfastness. Paul talks about this in many of his letters. He wants his people to finish the race. And we need that longevity. But it first comes from a trusting, changed heart. But the obedience, even though it doesn't earn our salvation, it it should be an outflow. It should be evident to the world that we are Christians. People should know, oh yeah, that person's a Christian, not because of negative things, (laughs) because they're going to work and just beating the Bible, their Bible on people's head. They should know we're Christians because we are taking care of the widow. We are taking care of the poor. We are extending grace. We are um, loving our enemy as ourselves. We are going the extra mile. Now, some people don't have that changed heart. They are obeying out of duty. This is religiosity. We see this a lot because human mankind has a hard time finding the balance here. And when we check the box, because that's the right thing to do, as opposed to a change and transform heart, That will lead to one of two things. It will lead to burnout. You cannot sustain that because it's the Holy Spirit in us changing us that gives us the longevity. Or if we are just obeying out of duty, it's going to lead to self-righteousness. You believe that your works put you in higher standing than the people around you, and that will turn people away, and it grieves the heart of our God. So again, Paul is saying that it's not works that get us in, but there better be works in our lives to be evident of a changed heart. It's such a crazy, fine line. Okay, 16 through 24. We're going to pick up here. 
verse 16, it says, this is why the promise is by faith so that it may be according to grace to guarantee it to all descendants, not only to those that are of the law, but those who are but also to those who are of Abraham's faith. He is the father to us all in God's sight, Jew and Gentile. As it is written, I had made you a father of many nations. He believed in God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. Okay, I'm gonna stop there. It says he believed in God who gives life to the dead. So when I was researching this, this is what I found, that resurrection life was a belief that goes back to the beginning of the Jewish nation. So from the very beginning, they believed in resurrection life. In fact, I found a quote that Judaism believes God quickens the dead. Another word for quicken would be to revive. So the Jewish nation believed that God would revive the dead, and they believed that this was figuratively and literally. Figuratively, Abraham, when he is promised to be a great nation, he looks at his body being 100 years old and it being good as dead. He also looks at Sarah's old 90-year-old womb as dead. Now, were they dead? No, but figuratively, he realized, like, we only have a few more years left. This is funny. Ha ha. But he believed that God could revive their bodies, and God did. So that's how it is figuratively. Literally, he is willing to sacrifice his son Isaac on an altar, believing that God will make a way for this nation, as many as there are stars in the sky, to come forth through his only son. So he was willing. He thought literally Isaac could die and God is still going to come through with his promise. I don't know what it's going to look like, but he's going to make a way. And so when I was researching this, I thought this was so cool, and I hope you do too, is that this story of Abraham's faith and the resurrection of the or this belief that God quickens the dead is celebrated on the holy feast. Remember, there's seven holy feasts a year that God commanded his children to follow. And this holy feast is Rosh Hashanah. Guess what holy feast fell on this week? Monday was Rosh Hashanah. And my hope was to start on every holy feast to do an extra podcast and to teach on that. And it just couldn't happen. I couldn't get it together. But I love how the Holy Spirit works because we have literally talked about every fall feast now. And this week was Rosh Hashanah. This was a holy feast. The story of Abraham and Isaac was told. And this is also known as the the festival of trumpets because the shofar, which is a ram's horn, is blown 100 times on this feast. And the shofar is associated with resurrection of the dead. So they were realizing that God revived Abraham's body, God revived Sarah's body, and God revived Isaac through providing a ram. And so they celebrate the resurrection of the dead, and they look forward to the day that all dead will rise in Christ through his second coming. So a little bit about Rosh Hashanah since this got brought up, and since I wanted to teach it to you on Monday, this is a very minimal um, study, but this is the Jewish New Year. So Monday was their happy new year, and it is appointed feast, and it's also known as the Day of Trumpets, and the word in Hebrew is Yom Terah, T-E-R-U-A-H, and it means to shout and make a noise. It begins the 10-day period leading up to the holiest of days, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. We talked about that last week. So the trumpets, the shofar, is a wake-up call, so those hundred 
time blast was a wake-up call and a reminder that the time is near for the day of atonement. It was to wake the children of Israel up. It's a time of repentance and turning back to the Lord. It's a time of self-examination. It's a time to get things right. And in the 10 days of great introspection, it was a time to make amends with all the people you had wronged. God is always, always, always in the business of us loving God and loving people. In fact, this whole idea of righteousness that we talked about later, love God and love others. Righteousness, part of righteousness is how we treat other people. God looks at that and it is extremely important to him. So a common greeting that they say to one another during this time is, may your name be inscribed. And what they're talking about is on Yom Kippur, may their name be written in the book of life. May them, may them, may they be right with God. And another thing I thought was interesting is they eat sweets. This is in October. Does that remind you of anything? Um, and I'm not saying that Halloween is of God, but what I am saying is the devil is always going to copycat. They eat sweets during this time, and it's a symbol for having a sweet year. They want to have a sweet new year. And so, This whole celebration is to get your heart ready, your heart right. It's a wake-up call and that, that Jesus is coming and he's about to resurrect the dead. Now, let's go back to Paul's letter. This whole section is of Abraham and um, the resurrection life is to show that that the people of this day could have the same relationship with God that Abraham did. Now, this was a radical statement because as we all do, though the Jewish people had deified almost Abraham. They looked at him like he was special, unique. No one could be like him. And they would deify him. We do the same thing. Like I think of the Virgin Mary being deified. Here is the deal. And listen to me. God specifically chooses the most ordinary people he can find in the Bible so that you and I can know that it wasn't because they were unique and special, but because of through him, all things are possible. It is to build our faith that we can do the same thing through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what Paul was saying. So this week, thinking about this message, how can we apply it to our life? We don't want to deify these people in the Bible. We want to follow their example. We also want to celebrate Rosh Hashanah. Remember, it's a 10-day period. So it started on Monday. So we're a little bit late, but that's okay. I want to encourage you that uh, let's all examine our own lives during this time. Let's ask God for a heart that hates sin like he does, and to remove it from our life and to fill that space with more of him to transform us. If we've done any wrong to other people, let's make those right this week. And let's thank him for his unfailing gracious love that is a free gift. And then let's extend grace to others. Guys, I know that this this might be hard. Romans is hard. And I hope that you are not giving up. I pray that you stick with it because what I promise is happening is the Holy Spirit is working in each and every one of our lives. I believe without a shadow of a doubt that 
time is drawing near and I find it so interesting, the little bit that I learned about Rosh Hashanah, because Jesus is coming back to raise the dead and to call his people home. And I, I believe that there's a great harvest in these last days. And we have to have great introspection and get our lives right so that we can go out and be the people to reap this harvest. I love you. I will see you next week. Happy reading.